please stand by. We'll be streaming live soon. Hey, good morning. It's good to be with you uh, this Monday morning. And I don't know where you're at, but in Georgia, in North Georgia, it got cold. <laughs> it was chilly this morning. I had a long sleeve shirt and my sweater on, and now I'm standing right underneath a, a vent that's blowing heat. And I'm about to start sweating all of a sudden. Praise God. So, in uh, Acts chapter 4, we've just finished, uh, in verse 31, is sort of the, sort of the closing section of uh, the whole thing that happened with the, the man born lame who was healed by Peter and John at the gate beautiful and then that caused just a, a ruckus and so we kind of went through all of that last week or two and and so now we kind of move to a new section and and I'm going to treat um, verses or chapter 4 verse 32 through uh, chapter 5, verse 11, as a section. Okay, I'm going to treat that as sort of a, uh, a cohesive section because it's kind of, it's, it's sort of divided up in three parts, okay? And let me give you that. I have a couple introductory things and then we'll get into it, okay? Verses 32 to 35 of, verse, of chapter 4 just gives a snapshot of sort of the condition of the church, the health of the church, okay? And then verses 36 and 37 present a positive example of the generosity that the believers are experiencing. And then chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, presents a bad example in contrast to the good example of Barnabas, a bad example in Ananias and Sapphira of generosity. And then the, um, the results of that. Okay, so that's just sort of the structure. Now, many people would say, why in the world would God put a section of Scripture like this in a New Testament where it's so much about joy and the Holy Spirit and all these amazing things are happening? Man, I mean, this seems like a, just a, a shock, right? Um, but I, I want to tell you that it, it actually is... Um, I'm really grateful, and actually, it is is it is uh, uh, not abnormal for the scriptures to have something like this at a time like this. And I'll tell you why I say that in just a few minutes. So, uh, the other thing I want to say is introduction. As it, so, we talked about the structure, the flow of it. Now, I want to I want to say that there's um, in verse 33, Luke mentions that within the church they are experiencing great power. Okay, there's three greats. Okay, there's three greats. Great power and then great grace. Alright? So there's great power. They're experiencing great power. All the healings, all the miracles. Okay? Great grace. Right? And then you'll find at the, at the end of... In verse 11, at the end of the whole thing... It says, great fear came upon them. Okay? And so, the purpose here, and I'm going to tell you what I believe is the main purpose of this section before we get into it, so you can have it in your mind, is that a healthy church will have a reverence, an honor to Holy Spirit. 
because Holy Spirit is God in our midst, living inside of us. Okay? And so there has to be a great fear. So there's great power, there's great grace, but there has to be a great fear in a healthy church. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is God. And you cannot mock God. That's uh, Galatians. What was that again? I wrote it down so I wouldn't forget. Maybe I didn't write it down, but I have the note here. It's Galatians 6, 7. God will not be mocked. And, and so we have here, and I'm, gonna, I'm just going to read it through now that I did my intro so that you can have those things in your mind as I read it. Um, we have here Luke presenting the Holy Spirit as God. As the third person of the Trinity. Okay? As a conscious person that... Uh, is aware of what is happening in your life, in my life, and in the church and in the world as a whole. Okay? And God will not be mocked. And so there has to be a great fear in a healthy church. Um, so let's look at uh, the Scripture, and I'm just going to read it all the way from uh, 4.32 to 5.1. And the multitude of them who believed were of one heart and of one soul, Neither said any of them that aught of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common, and with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Neither was there any among them who lacked, for as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them, and brought the prices of the things that were sold, and laid them down at the apostles' feet, and distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. And Joseph, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation, a Levite, and of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it, and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. But a certain man named Ananias, with Sapphira his wife, sold a possession, and kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. And Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back part of the price of the land? While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not your own power? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied unto men, but unto God. And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost, dead on the spot. And great fear came on all them who heard these things. And the young men arose and wound him up and carried him out and buried him. And it was about the space of three hours after when his wife, not knowing what was done, came in. And Peter said unto her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, Yes, for so much. Then Peter said unto her, How is it that you have agreed together to tempt the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of them which have buried your husband are at the door and shall carry you out. Then fell she down straightway at his feet, and yielded up the ghost. And the young men came in, and found her dead, and carrying her forth, buried her by her husband. And great fear came upon all the church, and upon as many as heard these things. It's a very sobering passage after the past few chapters, isn't it? Now, uh, I want to give some background, though, before I move forward, <clears throat> okay, <clears throat> when Moses 
was establishing, flip to Leviticus 10. Leviticus chapter 10, verses 1 and 2. When Moses and Aaron were establishing how things were supposed to happen at the tabernacle and, uh, and how the priests were to minister, there was a certain order <coughs> to it. And certain people were supposed to do certain things at a certain time and you were not allowed to get out of order. Well, there's two guys who wanted to do what they wanted to do <laughs> at the wrong time. Okay? And Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took either of them his censer and put fire therein and put incense thereon and offered strange fire before the Lord, which he commanded them not. Okay, so they they tried to do some sort of priestly function. They, they, they tried to assume a role that God did not tell them that they were allowed to have. And they went out fire from the Lord and devoured them. And they died before the Lord. So as the Ten Commandments come in, and as the tabernacle is established, and as all of the priestly functions are being worked out, there is a temptation for someone to create an opportunity for them to be in a position they're not supposed to be, and uh, God wouldn't have it. Well, let's go also look at uh, Joshua 27. Joshua, I'm sorry, Joshua 7, 25. <clears throat> Is that right? I'm in Judges. That's why I didn't know what I was looking at. So, as Joshua just came into the land, and as they just took over, and they just destroyed Jericho, and they just went to Ai, and it, I don't want to get bogged down, but, you know, they the, the Lord gives them some... A, specific commandments about the spoils that they're allowed to take from Ai. There's certain things they have to leave it alone. They're not allowed to take it, right? Well, there's two guys that couldn't help it. It looked, it looked too good. Um, or one guy. One guy. Achan, right? It looked too good. He just couldn't help himself. So he, so he took it and he buried, he buried some treasure in, in the ground in his, within his tent. And so in verse 10, the Lord tells Joshua somebody sinned, and so they had to cast lots to find out who sinned. And then um, it says, the end result of that, um, Joshua said to Achan, Why have you troubled us? The Lord shall trouble you this day, and all Israel stoned them with stones and burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. So then the last one I, I want to look at is Second Samuel. Um, Say again? And they killed his whole family. Mercy. Okay. So 2 Samuel, then 2 Samuel 6. There's a point to all this now. Y'all hang with me. 6, 7. Uzzah, they just are trying to take, David's trying to take the ark back from, uh, 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 say the name again. It's been the ark has been up in the house of Abinadab. Thank you, Betty, for a long time. So David is trying to take the the ark of the covenant and and put it back um, uh, in Jerusalem, right? 
And so, as they're coming down, you know, they're doing the sacrifice, or they're doing the thing, and then in verse 6, and when they came to Nacon's threshing floor, Uzzah put forth his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen shook it. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God smote him there for his error, and there he died by the ark of God. Okay? So, these are three three instances in the Old Testament where God was trying to establish His people and what would characterize them. And one of the characteristics that He expects of His people is reverence. Is reverence for Him. That, that God is holy. And so the Holy Spirit is holy. And you cannot, as... Uh, Ananias and Sapphira did. You cannot mock the Holy Spirit and try to pretend to uh, uh, to lie to the Holy Spirit. And, and so the idea here is that as God is establishing the community of believers and, and trying to establish the character of His church, He's saying that my church has to be one that is filled with reverence for me and reverence for this new Holy Spirit. It's, it comes with great power. It comes with great grace. But there has to be a great fear, a great reverence for the Holy Spirit. And if that's not present in my people, then then I can't move. Then I cannot move. In other words, the power and the grace are only available if the reverence is there, if the fear of God is there. Um, so let's go back now that I've, I've given some of those examples there and just kind of look at it in a little more detail. So this whole thing is wrapped up in the concept of selling land and giving to the poor. In other words, the church is is now suddenly practicing uh, this whole concept that Jesus was was teaching the whole time he, he did his earthly ministry, that you cannot serve both God and money. And so he says in, um, in uh, Matthew, uh, Matthew 6.21, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so that's just a, a sort of a snapshot of Jesus' teaching on possessions and materialism. And it's that, you cannot uh, trust in materialism. You cannot trust in earthly things. And so the church suddenly is operating in this concept of having treasures in heaven. In other words, they're not depending on earthly things all of a sudden. They're willing to give. And before, they were not willing to give. They were not selling their land and helping the poor. Suddenly, they're selling land and helping the poor. In other words... In other words, the Holy Spirit is presented here as changing the inner heart of a person. All of these believers suddenly are changed inside. And so this sanctifying work that we talk about all the time is happening here in the early church. You see that suddenly they're not holding on to possessions, afraid that they're going to lose it. No, they're, they're, they're giving so that, so that others can be blessed. Now, this is not socialism. Okay? i got to say that. I'm sorry. I have to say it. 
Because there are some that would use this text to say that, uh, that, that, that socialism or a socialist government or communism is supported biblically. That's not true. Okay? Uh, a socialist system of government or a communist system of government is structured around the idea of if you have it, I'm going to take it to give it to other people. Okay, But what the Scriptures are telling us is, I'm willing to give it of my own free will. <laughs> okay, So really, biblically speaking, it would actually be better for a government to, instead of forcing people to, uh, to give, right? Which really is not giving, that's just you know, having your stuff taken from you, uh, is to create opportunities for people to have greater incentives to be generous. And I'll just leave it at that. I, I, that's a hot topic right now. We've got election day tomorrow, right? But I'll just leave it at that. Biblically, that's the way I see it. I see nothing here at all that would support socialism or communism. If you've heard that before, and I had to mention that because people do that. People will take this scripture, I've heard it, and try to do that. But I don't think that's at all what it is. Okay, so then you have Barnabas. Oh, by the way, if you had land, you were wealthy, by the way. When the Romans came in and took over everything, they basically decided who got land. I mean, pretty much, you know. So this idea of, you know, uh, having private property and stuff that we do in America and Western culture, no. Yeah, it, it, you either had land. It, I mean, there really wasn't much of a middle class, honestly. It, it was pretty much you, you were on the top or you were on the bottom. You know, you were either working to feed your family and you were you were subsiding, you know, subsistence living, or or you had, or you were in favor with the Romans. If you had land, then Rome liked you, basically, or else they just come take and give it to somebody else. Really, so Barnabas here is a Levite. Most likely, he owned land in Cyprus. By the way, there uh, Pastor Rick has a really good teaching on Barnabas as the son of consolation. So this Bible study is not about that concept, though that is a powerful Bible study. And then also, uh, Dr. Dan Dunn has a uh, good Bible study on Barnabas and the life of Barnabas and how he affected the early church and Paul's ministry. So I encourage you to go back in, in our archives and find those teachings um, to get more on Barnabas. But this, this passage presents Barnabas as it, it says that uh, he was Joseph named Barnabas being interpreted the son of consolation, a Levite, the country of Cyprus, having land sold it. Most likely the land was in Cyprus, and he brought it and laid it at the apostles' feet. So then you have Ananias and Sapphira doing the exact same thing. The exact same thing. Okay. However, it's a different result. But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession. And they kept back part of the price his wife also being privy to it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. So Peter then has a word of knowledge. Right there. In verse 3. And knows that he's being lied to. You know, he just knows it. The Holy Spirit tells him that this guy is not being honest. Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? Okay, now, now I want you to catch this. To keep back part of the price of land, while it remained, it was not. It, 
was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not your own in your power? So it, it's not that giving only part of it was the problem. It's that he lied about it. He lied about it. That, that was really the problem. And he says, why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied unto men, but unto God. In other words, he connects Holy Spirit and God. Connects Holy Spirit and God. Lying to the Holy Spirit is lying to God because the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. So Luke is establishing here that the Holy Spirit has got to be respected in the early church. And you cannot lie to the Holy Spirit. In other words, the Holy Spirit knows everything inside of our hearts. Everything. Every little corner where there's, a, uh, where there's still sort of a, a tendency to, to have some, some, uh, some thoughts that are, that are not of God from the past that still kind of rise up, you know, and these uh, sort of judgmental thoughts here and these self-condemning thoughts here and these selfish thoughts here and, and this and that. And then the Holy Spirit knows that, that we've changed a lot and He sees how we've grown and He's seen what's good about us and, and he's, he's working on us. See, the Holy Spirit of God is a merciful, gracious God. It says that great grace was upon them all. There's powerful grace. I mean, these people weren't perfect. Barnabas wasn't perfect. Okay? But there's a submission, there's a surrender to the Holy Spirit of God that uh, you would not try to lie to the Holy Spirit or try to trick the Holy Spirit or pretend somehow that uh, you can steal some glory from the Holy Spirit and, and be in a position that you shouldn't be in. That's what, uh, that's what uh, those guys in the Old Testament that we, that we read about, Nadab and Abihu, Achan and Uzzah, they, they were uh, unfortunately tried to take a position towards God that was not of reverence, that was not of, of fear, that it was not respectful. And they paid the price for it. So Ananias and Sapphira essentially are made... Now, question here. Well, let's go on. So Ananias lies, dies. Sapphira comes in about three hours later. You know, if, there was, if this was... You almost think of this as like a comedy. I think about this from the perspective of the footman who dragged out Ananias. And then the second they get back to the door, they see another one dead and they just drag her out. To, you know, how many people are we going to have to drag out? I don't know if I want this job anymore, you know. It's not funny. But what I, what, I, what I was trying to... The point I was trying to get across here is that as we come to God, okay, there has to be an understanding that, um, that as the people of God, uh, the Holy Spirit is not going to put up with being ridiculed or mocked. Now, some people don't understand the Holy Spirit in the church today. Maybe they're ignorant. They've never been exposed to it. Now, that's not the same thing as mocking the Holy Spirit, lying to the Holy Spirit, putting down the Holy Spirit and saying that, that uh, this is no good or that somehow, uh, you know, this is evil and trying to trick people into thinking that the Holy Spirit is... you want to say something, Rick?
kind of interesting. I've seen some pulpits. Under the pulpit, there was so much trash. I've seen mm. chewing gum all over the choir lot. The choir uh, lot. The choir loft. Uh, I've seen uh, uh, so much disrespect mm. for the holy things of God. And I think this lesson is teaching us that uh, don't you mock the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. You Amen. don't have to uh, be convicted and rejected. When you belittle, accuse, harass, lie, blaspheme. What is the scripture about blaspheming the Holy Spirit? There's no, no forgiveness. Mm -hmm. right? Yep, that's correct. That's what Jesus says. Those who blaspheme the Holy Spirit, that is the only unforgivable sin, he would say. Um, so Ananias and Sapphira are presented as the bad example. Now the question that we were talking about here is, now if... If we were judged in this way, if, if, if every Christian was judged in this way for every sin, uh, you know, nobody would stand a chance, right? So what's, what's really going on here? Well, you know, uh, there still is judgment like this. Um, later on in the book of Acts, uh, you have uh, uh, his name... His name escapes me now, but it was one of the leaders who fell down dead and says worms ate him. Uh, Herod. So, in other words, he presented himself as a god. Well, he was judged. That's historical too. It's confirmed. I mean, he in the middle of his speech, he bent over, doubled over, sick and died. 1223. So and and that still does happen today. <clears throat> People are judged if you mock the Holy Spirit, if you try to trick God in some way. But see, for for us who who are just going about our lives and trying to do the best we can, uh, how are we to take this? Should we take it as being scared? Well, no, no. It says that great grace, great grace, was upon the church. We read that. So, there was great power, great grace, but great fear is expected. See, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, but there is an expectation that we would honor the Holy Spirit of God that has now come. Because, see, the Holy Spirit is not just funny games. The Holy Spirit was sent for a purpose. And so, it's a call to us, it's an honor to us, that we get to be a part of that purpose and that that great divine commission that God has to reach the world for Jesus Christ. And He has given us the Holy Spirit of God to do it. But it, it's, it's an honor to be a part of that. And so we can come with reverence to the Holy Spirit and say, God, I know I don't deserve to be here. I know I don't deserve to be blessed with Your Spirit living inside of me. And I know I'm not perfect, but God... I just want to thank you that I get to be a part of what you're doing in the world. And so, God, would you just use me in whatever way it is. If it's from you, God, I don't want to reject it. So please, God, help me to just be open to whatever it is that you are wanting to do through me so that we can reach those who are lost, so that we can minister to those who are in need, so that we can do the work that you've called us to and follow in the footsteps of Jesus. Now, that type of heart is in is in ninety nine point nine percent of Christians out there. 
So we don't have to read this and be afraid. Actually, we can look at it and be grateful. But see, what God is saying is that He has His hands upon His church. And we don't have to be afraid that the church is going to be infiltrated by a bunch of people who are liars and take over. God is in control. He has His hand upon His church. We don't have... We don't, we don't have to be afraid that somehow the church is going to be stolen by the devil. You know? And we don't have to be going around looking out for, you know, the evil people in the church all the time. Though we do need to have discernment of spirits, but it's not for us to be afraid and that, that somehow the devil's going to, you know, steal the church. No. We, have, we fear God and we trust Him with His church. So I want to ask you a question today. Have you checked yourself in reverence to God lately? You know, Pastor Frank said something the other day that I've been thinking about for weeks now as he was doing one of his teachings. He said, when we get to heaven, a lot of times we think that we're going to go in rejoicing and jumping and singing and shouting. And he said, no, probably not. He said, probably the first thing we're going to do when we get to heaven is say, Jesus, I don't deserve to be here. Thank you that I get to be here. I think he's probably right. And then after that, we have the party. But I think the first thing we're going to do is admit to Jesus that we don't have any right to be there in his presence. But thank you that we get to be. So let me ask you, have you checked yourself in terms of reverence? Have you thought to yourself in the past week or two weeks, am I, do I think of God as holy? Do I understand that I really don't deserve to be in His presence? That I really don't deserve to have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of me, but I'm so grateful that I do. Well, if you have that heart, you don't have to let this Scripture scare you in any way, shape, or form. This Scripture is a warning that you cannot mock God, but not most of us are not out trying to mock God. We're simply trying to serve God. So this can be an encouragement for most of us to say that... Uh, that really we don't have to be afraid if our hearts are right towards God because He knows our hearts. So have a great day. I hope I helped you with this passage a little bit because a lot of people don't like this passage. It's hard to read in the midst of, you know, a book where so many miraculous things are happening and the early church is forming and then all of a sudden two people die and you think, man, that's just a little too a tough pill to swallow. But actually, as we, if we read it right, it can be an encouraging passage. So I hope I helped you a little bit with it today. Have a great day and we'll see you tomorrow morning.
Eu vejo de coração até 